0: All right. So we're going to get kicked off for Egypt. Do you want to get started just explaining what the history machine is?
1: So our aim in this is to go through the various commanders and generals in history and try and figure out if they're underrated or overrated based on numbers that our computer spits out. So the history machine is a neural network we have created based on a database of battles going back from 2500 BC through to just before really the it changes from BC to
0: It pretty much ends with the fall of the Roman Republic and the beginning of the Roman Empire which conveniently is right around the time 0 AD pretty much anything before the birth of Christ but to get started first thing I'm going to say because today's subject is Egypt is Egypt is just so old now, you might think like, oh, okay, it's old. It's a couple of centuries, it's a couple of years. It's like, no, 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 no. You have no idea just how old this place is. Like, it starts off with, imagine some kind of very prehistory humans messing around in Africa, working their way northward. One of the first big cities they hit is Egypt. They hit the Nile. This whole thing predates agriculture, and they settle there. And like, that is the starting point. And by the time you hit, let's say, 3,200 B.C., You've got a dynasty. That's 5,000 years ago. And that's when they had the first dynasty. So to put in perspective, that the first dynasty, around 3200 BC, the second one, 28, 2900 BC, and it's in the third dynasty, which they refer to as the Old Kingdom, that you start building pyramids.
1: I I regularly get annoyed when watching things or reading things like Mm. Song of Ice and Fire or Lord of the Rings, and they always give these stupidly long timescales for dynasties. I'm like, it's not realistic that... They'd, you'd have this this one kind of culture continue on for thousands of years like this. Egypt is the real life exception.
0: E- yeah, Egypt is the exception that proves the rule. Like, they're just there. Like, I'll pick a number. Like, the 9th dynasty lands in 2160 BC. The 7th dynasty is actually so shrouded in mystery, most people think it's fictitious. And to put in perspective, the Persians, who we'll be covering later, they hit... And they become the 27th dynasty in 525 BC.
1: People think of Egypt, they think, oh, you know, like Cleopatra or whatever. Yep. That was Ptolemaic dynasty. That was right at the end of the, the Egypt we think of. Cleopatra is closer to us than she was to the first dynasty by a very
0: long I know, it's insane. Long it's insane. It's insane. Because they take over and they are the
1: 32nd dynasty. No, not even that. They're the 33rd. My God, it just doesn't end. I mean, conquered multiple times, but it always just seemed to revert back to the same kind of steady. They, they kind of got assimilated partially into the culture.
0: The big thing about what makes this place like so consistent is the flooding of the Nile. Now, unfortunately, it's only in the last hundred years it has not flooded since an environmental dam was a dam was built, and that killed the whole thing. And at the same time the outer limits of the place, like the outer boundaries, is a desert. So it's really hard to attack them. Yeah.
1: Even, look, even, even though it's maybe less so today than it was back then, even look on a map right now, you know, a satellite map, and you will just see yellow, brown, just desert, 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 and then just this green strip. And that's, <laughs> and that's, it. that's yeah, it's just
0: That's it. That's the Nile River. The longest river in the world Cutting down just through Africa That is it That is the lifeblood of the whole place It's what made it entirely good So I suppose The big thing we've got to talk about Egypt Is it's gone on forever But we do not have much information for them And I don't mean that in the sense of Like we don't know much about this dynasty Or this dynasty But when it comes to our database And we're looking at like really persistent And consistent numbers And, and figures that we can plug in To the neural network And get us some results We don't have that much and it's really hindered the whole thing. However, what we do have is much later and uh, we do have a very particular special case who seems to stand out. He is referred to as, really, really I'm going to say he's known as two names and it'd be Ramses II or Ozymandias. And actually, I have kind of a cool little list of uh, names from here. So it's Ramses II the Great, Keeper of Harmony and Balance, Strong and Right, Elective for Ozymandias, and the Third Pharaoh of the 19th Dynasty. That is some total Song of Ice and Fire shit that, right, right there. Like,
1: <laughs> I mean, he he stands out because, as I say, like, it's incredibly old We have very little. What we do have is nearly all Ptolemaic Egypt, and maybe a little bit of Persian Egypt in our database. Those things that we have maybe some solid numbers on. And that's just because that
0: data is new. That's it. It's like, it's the tail end.
1: It's it's the stuff where you had historians, you had stuff. I mean, it was probably embellished Mm. because... Yeah, you know, propaganda has existed. Yeah, the usual. As the long usual. as writing has. Well, it's
0: existed forever. Yeah, as long as writing's been there, people have been exaggerating.
1: Yeah, you, you have this guy who's hanging around in the 1200s BC. I suppose he famously appears in the poem Ozymandias, which...
0: For, for, the, for our listeners who don't know this, I think this is probably my favourite poem, because I heard it and I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. So it was written by Percy Shelley, who was married to Mary Shelley, and she's famed as being the, we'll say, the mother of sci-fi, and the author of Frankenstein.
1: On, on an aside, I love that. I feel very progressive now that we've just listed like a male writer and said, "Oh, you know, you know him because he's married to this one." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: he's married to her, and she's th- way better. I feel better than I, feel, him. I yeah. feel
1: happy about this reversal.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So to kick off, if if you're not actually familiar with the poem Ozymandias, I'm going to read it out quickly. And it'll sum up, I think, the entire... It it sums up perfectly the kind of the data and the information we have for Ramses II. And it's, I met a traveller from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk, A shattered visage lies, Whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command Tell that its sculptor well those passions read, Which yet survived stamped on those lifeless things, The hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. So there we go. That's That pretty much sums up this guy that there's nothing left. There's wreckage. there's just sand or whatever, but he's there. Now, his works are kind of forgotten, but you will actually find it, funnily enough, hard-pressed to find an Egyptian building built that does not have his name carved somewhere in it before or after his birth. Just because they're like, stick his name on it. There we go. Ramsey's the second. Bang. Seal of approval. It's like, like a quality mark.
1: <laughs> I think our database anyway, and why that poem is kind of relevant, mm. the poem about basically how... You know, you can be the biggest deal, time will still have forgotten you. But, uh, you know, the, the point is, even though obviously very little remains of what was mm-hmm. obviously a very big deal, we still have a little bit of it, which is more than can be said for most everything else. And, you know, we, we have very, very big gaps for this time period in our database, but we still have a couple of his battles appearing. And Definitely. the ones that are there, based on, on the computer's interpretation of it, on the neural network's interpretation, mm-hmm. it was very impressive. I think both of them, he was given basically a 20% chance to win and both of them, he won fairly handily.
0: Now, I'm just going to pull this out here. Like, normally if we say, like, if you have a 50-50 chance, that's the flip of coin, that's like the best commander wins. But if we're looking at 20%, like, it's not, I'm not even going to say it's not even one in five, but that's just going to be outrageously difficult. Yeah. Would I be correct in that assumption?
1: Yes. Yeah. I think actually, if if you looked through most of our data, I think most of what, our, what the history machine has mm-hmm. interpreted battles as I think you look at the very top generals, you look at ones like Alexander, the ones like Caesar, something that stands out about them, it's not that they win against massive odds; it's that they never take battles with massive odds. They are normally given True. the 80% chance to win, whereas Ramses is going through, in his couple of battles, with the opposite. He's on the 20% side. Wow,
0: and he still pulls it out of there like, yeah.
1: that's outrageous.
0: So you can just do that but he is a very strange figure if you look up anything about him. The first thing is he lived to be very
1: old. Mm, 66 year reign according to some sources. Jesus Which Christ. Crazy. Yeah. I
0: think I think it was nearly 96 when he died and he possibly died of like a heart attack or a tooth infection. They're not really sure. But like he's he was around. Also, when he died, here's a little fun fact. He there was no one in Egypt who was not born during his reign.
1: Oh wow, that's Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense that no yeah. one beyond him would get maybe the care required to live that long. But yeah, like, wow, that's that's actually it's, it's way pretty insane.
0: It. He had up to two hundred wives and/or concubines, and he outlived a lot of his children.
1: He perfectly again summing up Egypt in that, just like being there forever, <laughs> just not going away, outliving everything else.
0: Yeah, very true. Actually, his 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 very lifestyle just represents the entire archetype of Egypt. Like, I'm just going to be around here forever for the longest time doing my stuff that's what I do his, his big deal though is he wasn't just a very good commander he was also a fantastic politician leader builder as well builder beyond belief like even the poem that we referenced earlier it's just all you can see is that he built temple after temple after temple after building after everything it's just he was also this is going to be a cool little fact he was married to Nefertiti if you know that name she is funnily enough considered by a lot of people to be the standard for beauty and if you do look at the Nefertiti bust, feel free to Google it. You will see there's a lot of supermodels that just follow that very specific shape. This long, thin neck, pointed, you know, pointed, smooth face, big, bright eyes. Definitely adds to the whole thing. Now, then again, that bust might be some kind of ideal artwork. So, you know, take that one with a pinch. But still, even with that in mind, like she's connected to him. So it's it's just, it's a famous name and it just, it pulses its way through pop culture and through time and through history and its legacy lives on. And we can really see it in the works it does. So let's actually kick off with the numbers we have for him. And we'll we'll compare them, contrast them to other people.
1: In summary, really, for for Ramesses, yes. we are saying that we want to kind of discuss these generals, what does history say about them versus what does our cold mathematical neural network say about them? This is one of the few cases I think where they agree pretty much exactly. Ramesses oh, second perfect. has Average wins over expectation, I know, again, low sample size, but we're going to we're going to see that a lot. We're going to go with for, it, yeah, we're going to go with this. Wins over expectation, 0.787. So that means the average battle, basically what would be 50-50 to another general, like he'd go in with a 20% chance and, and kind of win the same amount.
0: And win it, and win the same thing. Yeah. So it, to put it in perspective with the 0.787, now that's just a number that seems to be pulled out of thin air, but to put it in perspective, if that number was 0, that would mean in a 50-50 battle where I have a he 50 percent 50% chance of win, you'd yeah. win 50% of the time. The higher that number is, the more impressive you are as a commander. And correspondingly as well, that number can be negative. So if I said it was a negative one.
1: Negative one would mean that like, it's a sure thing and somehow you messed it up. That's oh, ne- yeah, negative yeah. Th- that, That's like negative one would mean you're going in with 10,000 people against one guy. Just some, some lad. <laughs> just
0: just some guy standing there in a white suit. Look.
1: And somehow you just
0: you just threw it all you, away. You, what do you do? You hit, yeah. you
1: hit the wrong button on the keyboard, yeah. and you accidentally hit resign. You know, you just yeah. something went <laughs> entirely wrong. There. Some
0: kind of it's like a a heart defect has fell your opponent <laughs> yeah. moments before the battle took place. Yeah, it's like no. Yeah.
1: a plus one is the opposite. A plus one is that you're that lad, but then it turns. Your liquid. Out you're your neo, liquid luck. Yeah. yeah
0: you're just like, just like, boom, you just go into any situation you're like, that is it, don't worry, I'm here, everything's going to be fine. Yeah. So he scores a point seven eight seven on that scale. So that's, again, <laughs> like, is small sample size. Super impressive. Possibly, yeah. it
1: would definitely have gone down if we knew more about the rest. True, of true, but, true. Uh, either way, hmm. like, it's very impressive.
0: So the idea is, that even based on what we have, he just seems to be a very impressive commander. That he is, like, showing up of, like, no, this person is... He's definitely... The word genius could be thrown around for this person, I suppose. For Ramses.
1: Yeah, he's, he's probably going in, as we go through episodes, we'll probably see a few like real standout figures and he's definitely the one for this one. Yeah.
0: Well, definitely considering the data we have for Egypt, he is the standout of Egypt. Now he's the standout of ancient Egypt. We will come across a few other commanders. We'll talk about them in a moment. But he is the standout in the sense that he is head and shoulders above just about everybody else around his time. Mm. He is the man of his generation.
1: Then I suppose getting into the other numbers, as well as giving mm. basic wins over the expected number the machine also gives expected values for casualties and commander losses
0: so how is he for casualties what does he like when he loses
1: troops in this case this seems to be how he wins battles you look through some generals and they seem to win through capturing commanders you know kind of taking the the king or taking the general and expecting the rest of the army to fall he didn't do that he's roughly he's hanging around the zero above or below expectation you know he's, he's getting no more or less than what you'd expect but casualties, casualties suffered, is a minus 0.15, so that's like fifteen percent less per battle than you'd expect. Like he's not, he's not taking unnecessary losses. He's doing well.
0: Okay, so he's, he's smart with his troops. He's smart with his numbers.
1: Plays and the then on the other side, casualties dealt over expectation is about eighty eight percent more than what you'd expect. Jesus he Christ! He is taking out his opponents. Just he's just
0: smashing, smashing hard them. into them, and that's it. Like, I'm sorry, you're gone. Yeah. Good luck. Um, If I'm supposed to kill one guy, we're killing two. That's pretty impressive. So, like, he scored super well in the win expectation, and he's even higher in the casuals dealt. So, would we necessarily say, though, that would he fall into a category, then, of somebody who's, like, a bit of a massacre when it comes to, like, if you're battling him, you're gone? Or, or what would what would we expect for that?
1: Compared to other generals of his time and their capabilities, like just tactically, he just seemed to know how to win. You know, it didn't matter. Army size didn't matter as much. He, he wasn't going to just try and go totally risky and try and take out a commander. He's just going to beat the other army on tactics alone.
0: So our, our rule of thumb for Ramses is he's going to have a good battle against you. He's not going to lose as many troops as you'd expect, but he's going to kill most of yours.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow, you're you're unlikely. Your your best option is probably deserting if you're on the other side.
0: Wow, that's, I that's suppose his
1: his highlight battle then as well. Of I know the mm. only two we have, but uh, I suppose one that's even kind of noted by historians, and one that you may want to look mm-hmm. up yourself. Battle of Kadesh, considered to be the largest chariot battle ever fought, about five to six thousand chariots in total between both sides. I, you know, again, he's just being the most Egypty. <laughs> there. You know, he's he's living forever. He's how, hitting how you with chariots. How dare you
0: be so stereotypically Egyptian?
1: <laughs> he just he he set the template. But uh, Battle of Kadesh, anyway. Yes, according to the computer, he was given about a twenty-two percent chance to win that.
0: Jesus Christ, I want won it.
1: He's if you look through the actual figures, he had about twenty thousand mm. men, um, of which you know two thousand were chariots and everything. Two, yes, the enemy strength, the Hittites. Anywhere between 23,000 to 50,000, opposing him with anywhere between 2,500 to almost 4,000 chariots. So
0: so he was at least s- matched in chariots, if not outnumbered. Oh,
1: exceeded. Like exceeded yeah, in yeah. just totally outnumbered. Yeah, the computer also <laughs> gives him, we were saying like his casualties mm-hmm. dealt out, out above expectation were massive. In this one, it was 94% more than what you'd expect. Roughly. I mean, the the numbers are are spotty. This is one, again, we're talking about 1,274 BC, but...
0: Hmm. This could also be a big victim of propaganda and inflation over time, where it's like, oh no, they didn't just beat that, they bet this, and they didn't just beat that, they bet this. But if you do look at a lot of some, particularly some of Ramsey's battles, the Hittites might claim this was a draw, but when it comes back to him, he's like, nah, we won. That was was kind of ours, it was in the bag, we did this one. So... We do have to take some of these results with that. Maybe they won, maybe they didn't. Maybe it was a strategic win. Maybe it was a tactical win. You know, it, it's very hard to gauge it because very much history is written by the winners. And these people like to exaggerate their wins. We're going to get an into that when we come across people like Caesar.
1: Just the amount that they wrote down and the amount that Ramses got to put down with his own name stamped on it. History is win- written by the winners. The amount written indicates they probably won this. Yeah, they're probably, they're probably they probably they are probably not
0: exaggerating too much. Where it's like, no, no, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, the Ramsey's seal of approval. Yeah. Jesus Christ, we should have that as some kind of like, you know, just logo or quality mark. Like, boom, just some hieroglyphics you stick on. The Ramses seal of approval, brought to you by Ozymandias.
1: It's just fun to say Ozymandias, isn't it? It is
0: very fun to say Ozymandias. The Greeks got it right when they called him that. It's a very fun, it's a very fun nickname. I'm gonna give him that. So we'll move on from Ramses. Ramses the Great definitely is the Great when it comes down to to the data we have for him we'll move on to some more culturally covered or recorded commanders and the first one I'm going to talk about is Ptolemy now for those you don't understand you might have heard the word Ptolemy or Ptolemaic Egypt but who he pretty much is is he was a sub-commander of Alexander the Great he was very likely a half-brother of Alexander but there's also a chance that, that was just some propaganda that he threw out later in life and he's like, no, actually, I'm a half brother. His my real dad is Philip II, but we can't really do too much on that. Now, when we look at Ptolemy, we got a lot of battles for wins. We have what was it seven battles, six wins, one loss?
1: Yeah, but I feel mm. like the seven battles need an asterisk because one thing that'll come up, and this is going to come up, I think, in a lot of episodes. Mm. People kind of riding Alexander's coattails. Now you could argue oh, maybe yeah. Alexander was propped up by having good sub commanders, or you know, argue that the sub commanders were propped up by him, but. Yeah, Many of these battles was him as the, I think, the infantry sub-commander under Alexander. Certainly an important role, but this is bumping up his numbers, I would say. Definitely.
0: For some of them, even he was a sub-commander under Parmenion, who was a fantastic commander under Alexander as well. So it's kind of, you're surrounded by just brilliant generals and tacticians and commanders. They're all around you. It's a total, you know, it's it's a total hub of just solid tactical and strategical commanders in there, and there is there is a phrase that comes to mind when we think of Ptolemy or Parmenion or any of these commanders, and it's a uh, that a rising tide raises all ships. It's like if you're just around them. That's it. You know, you're you're associated with them. You're you're tacked onto them. But uh, so anyway, if we chat a little bit about Ptolemy, his big deal is after Alexander's death, the Macedonian Empire, which conquered most of the known world at the time, which pretty much wiped out the Persian Empire that was just before it, Ptolemy then decides that he claims Egypt as his own section. And I'm going to say, hands down, before anything else is done, Ptolemy claiming Egypt was pretty much the smart move of the whole thing because you've got access to the Nile, you've access to huge resources, just a rich, vibrant history, like a very good tax base, and pretty much an area that can grow so much food that the Romans will take over eventually. Pretty good move by Ptolemy just just to go over there and take Egypt as a whole because it is the place in the ancient world worth worth taking. There's a reason the pyramid's there. There's a reason they have the resources and the expenditure to build that kind of stuff. It's just a super, it's a very important tactical and strategic location. It is culturally so rich it's just worth having. So Ptolemy eventually does establish a Ptolemaic dynasty in Egypt and it becomes riddled historically with a lot of just bureaucratic nonsense and mean that is there's so much taxes and charges and infrastructure it's something definitely worth looking up it's it's nightmarish but I want to put a modern example the Ptolemaic dynasty never bothers to actually learn Egyptian when they're governing
1: they they stay Greek
0: basically they stay Greek they stay very Greek the even even to say that these people are Egyptian is off-putting because they they're not they don't speak Egyptian they don't deal with it. The Rosetta Stone comes from these kind of interactions where you have, you know, a Greek person needing to translate Egyptian. It's just they don't absorb the culture. They, they they stay entirely and do their own thing. They just do not become Egyptian. And it would be a modern day equivalent of the Windsors, which would be the royal family in England, just speaking German. They're like, well, we came from Germany. We're still there. We're whatever. Queen Victoria's German. This is it, we're just speaking German. Doesn't matter who we address, doesn't matter where we're an ambassador for, who comes to visit, we're going full-blown German. And we're not going to change it. And that's it. World wars be damned. Yeah, actually, that's a great example. World world wars be damned. They could have wars with the Greeks and they're like, we still ain't speaking Egyptian. We're sticking sticking to what we do. Uh, But that does lead to some interesting kind of developments for the, the Ptolemy dynasty because most of their troops will be Greek and they will be Greek mercenaries they will be Greek infantry they will be people who move to Egypt they will be people who grow up in Egypt who speak Greek and they will fearfully not really train Egyptian people in Egypt with the fear of a rebellion and a revolt they won't do it Although they do use elephants, which is very fun.
1: Always fun. And, and, and slightly tricky for the database to interpret, for the neural network to interpret, because there aren't too many examples of elephants being used.
0: But, uh. Yeah, but when they're used, oh, you better believe. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so uh, so Ptolemy in general is, he's very much a, I'm going to say Greek, but he's Macedonian. Now, the difference between the two, it's like saying someone from Ireland is from the British Isles. You'd be correct, but they'd be like, ah, now you're, you're pushing it a little yeah. bit, you know it's don't, not don't,
1: yeah it's uh, don't yeah. say it to people from northern greece you're just and, and don't,
0: don't yeah don't don't say it to people from yeah don't say to the different people in northern ireland it's like no leave it don't do it yeah so very much he is macedonian and macedonia is very much north northern greece and it's an area that will be very heavily hellenized will be very heavily affected by greek culture But you could argue and you probably be rightfully so that they are like a separate cultural identity they're not really Greek. They're Macedonian. They're their own thing. And they will, in very much in Alexander the Great's father's lifetime, which is Philip II, he will conquer Greece and then he will move towards Persia. Or he will start, but he's assassinated. That's a whole other kettle of fish. Big old stories. But they are Macedonian. He is very much Ptolemy, in summary. He's a Macedonian commander. He's a Macedonian commander who settles in Egypt with some Macedonian ideas and has a couple of Macedonian children and they have Macedonian children. And that keeps going all the way to Cleopatra, which is a Greek name. They are very much almost a colony in Egypt ruling it. Yeah, so let's look at Ptolemy, actually, and see what his figures are like. So very much riding on the tailcoats of Alexander by the looks of it, because yes. most of his battles are with him. And what happens through that whole setup? He's, he's going well, he's kicking ass, he's taking names.
1: Here, here we do have, unlike Ramses, here we have an example where the history machine thinks overrated. His average win yes. over expectations is 0.06. So that's like if you had him fight 20, 50, 50 battles, he'd win 11 of them. It's a little oh, bit about wow. better. It's not yes, it's, he's super nothing,
0: amazing. He's nothing spectacular. That's
1: interesting. You go through it battle by battle, and mm. number one thing is what we said. He's riding Alexander's coattails. He's yes. not, you know, he's he's obviously a big part of it, but he's yeah. not the only guy making these wins happen. And also, as I said earlier, because it's Alexander, most of the really successful ones, they don't take chances. That's why they keep winning. Most ah. of the most of the wins that he has like, he won, but it wasn't necessarily massively over-expectation. Like, he was the favourite in almost all of Although these battles. Although,
0: we definitely could make the argument that, listen, it, it would only be a silly commander or a stupid commander. Oh, exactly. It's, take, it's a I'm going to take this battle if I'm going to lose it. It's a, it's a whole different ballpark. Yeah. It's 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 If, if you can pick your fights... Like you know, why pick one you're going to lose?
1: Exactly. I think the the history machine mm. really it's rating their tactical ability more than is the strategic ability because yes, a yeah. good strategist just doesn't get themselves into these kind of messes. So we, we can definitely
0: place. say about him that he's probably a great strategist but maybe not a great tactician. Now, actually, the great strategist would make a lot of sense, considering he ended up t- taking Egypt, the most valuable kingdom of the time.
1: This, this fits into that type of narrative. Like, he set up a very successful dynasty, mm. and he picked, he picked the right horse in terms of how they were going to carve up Alexander's uh, empire. A
0: funny side note, in order to kind of uh, validate his rule, he kidnapped the corpse of Alexander the Great when it was being returned <laughs> to Macedon and had it mummified and it was in Memphis I was going to say Memphis, Tennessee <laughs> no <laughs> all those years later he took it to Memphis in Egypt so he used it to kind of say well we have the body of Alexander and it was used as like a little prize or that tiny little bit of verification to say yep I'm the ruler here. I'm the most significant I love there. wacky
1: historical pettiness like this. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, oh, that's what, the, what's that, silicate? you say you're the real Oh, no, let me ask Alexander. Oh, no, no he said then? I, no, he's, he's right over there. And he says that I, I get Egypt. Deal with it. <laughs> like. Uh, I control Egypt? No. <laughs> oh. Just, yeah, yeah, you get those other ones, like, with Cromwell or, or a few others where it's like they build, dig them up after their death so that they can, like. Hang them so, like, again, hang them do again. something or make a second like, yeah. point.
0: It's like, yeah, oh no, no, no! Death is not ending this for you here. Like you have more functions and purposes. We're not. We're not going to go too far with this. Oh, so yeah, he does seem to be, he's definitely shrewd, definitely strategic, but looking at the data, he's not too tactical. So I can see here in front of us, his win over expectation, as you said, was 0.06, but his casualties suffered over expectation is 0.11, mm, which means he's sloppy. losing slightly more men than he should. Yeah, a
1: little bit more. And mm. the, I think where you, where you get in, this is something, again, comes from, I think, working with Alexander. The yes. enemy commander's losses over expectation, that's probably the more dramatic number here. Because most yes. commanders, most battles, you don't have either commander getting taken. So most, most generals going through this, their commander captures, it, it ends up being roughly zero or something similar. It doesn't very much. So having 14% more enemy commander captures.
0: We'll put it this way. When it hits the fan, the commanders hightail it and get out of there.
1: Yeah. So a lot of the time. I, I think this is a kind of a hallmark of Alexander's strategy where like in battles he would just take take the option of maybe like risking a few more men but just going directly for the enemy king. And it was it was kind of all or nothing strategy. But when it worked, you ended the war.
0: That's definitely an Alexandrian kind of tactic. It's like, you know what, screw this, it's all gonna go sideways. It's time to go and just take the commander. And these people and these sub-commanders fall into that category as well, which probably makes a lot of sense because they would have suffered very heavy casualties just trying to enable him to get that. Yeah. So they'd almost be support in the battlefield scenario where it's like, listen, we've got Parmenion, we've got Ptolemy, we've a few other people. It's like, we got to hold this ground, defend this area, keep everything in check, while we let Alexander come in with the sledgehammer
1: and just take out where he needs to go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's not maybe... Not maybe the most conservative. It's not the most significant
0: but. data we, could, we we should probably look at when we think of the casualties they did suffer. Now, here's another one: casualties dealt over the expectation. How much did they? How much particularly has Ptolemy delivered? That
1: one was better. That was about twenty percent more than what you'd expect.
0: So he's probably losing men, but he's taking more than expected as yeah. well. So he's taking more than he's actually losing.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, it basically it supports that idea. Like, they're holding ground. They're doing that very successfully. Mm. But just the inherent strategy means that you're going to get a bit more casualties than you might like. But but the idea being you can end the war with this battle because you're going to take out the leader. You lose a little more in this battle, but you lose less overall because you're fighting fewer battles. I suppose the, yes. the end concept.
0: Yeah. Now then we move on to something like the commander losses over expectation. Now I can see this number in front of me and it's a negative, which is a good sign, but it's approximately zero. It's very close to zero. It's tiny. So it's kind of didn't lose more than expected, but if you had to put a number, slightly less than average. The
1: occasional slip up, but overall. Yeah. Overall, you're fine. It's fine. Fine. Totally fine. Yeah. The main interesting thing though, like as we're going through all these numbers, he has six wins and only one loss. So why is, why is he ranked as so average? As basically, we're saying every every battle he entered, you know, strategically sound, went in with the strong Mm. advantage. The problem with that is that when he finally lost, it really hurt his overall score because Uh. he should have won it. (laughs) He should have won it. So the battle that he lost in this case, the one that is hurting his score overall, is the Battle of Salamis in 306 Mm -hmm. BC. And in this one naval battle and i think again it could be a recurring theme as we go through this podcast go through different episodes naval battles are just that bit less predictable and they end up with a bit more a few more upsets it's not going to be the last naval battle we mentioned in this episode even
0: yeah well i think the thing i thing gotta say about naval battles even looking at Tonomy, he is a land like infantry commander it's what he does so even the idea it, it how about we get some infantry specialists and just throw them on a couple of ships and see you know go for it go naval yeah. see what you do so this is one that, although you do say, this is one he still was expected to win, even with all of that behind him.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's mm. the neural network doesn't necessarily know if they're a specialist in one thing or the yes. other. Kind of It, it, it kind of assumes mm. how would the, a baseline general do in this situation. That yes. gives you the expected result. And then how they actually did is...
0: Yeah, but even with, with that. that in mind, if we compared him to some bog standard admiral, he didn't perform as well
1: no in this battle you had the other side coming in with about 180 warships he had about 200 plus another 200 Mm -hmm. transports so he had the numbers advantages you go through the casualties the other side you just probably studies and like they lost 20 warships whereas Ptolemy and his other commander Menelaus—I am not pronouncing. Menelaus, right. yeah, we're, we're going to be
0: terrible when it comes to pronunciations. I'm just going to throw that out there. Yeah, like they're—they're going to be Greek. They're going to be Egyptian. We're going to come across Mongolian. We're like—we're—we don't know what we're going to do here. Yeah. for some of these. But anyway, he did have his support. But yeah,
1: eighty-eighty warships, eighty warships lost, forty warships, hundred tra- tra- transports captured, and Menelaus, whose name I'm probably still not pronounced correctly, uh, he was taken as a prisoner of war. So it was a very, very bad result from a battle yeah. that he should have won. It basically wrecked his score for, for it everything wrecked his score.
0: <laughs> That's it, yeah. So he had more ships. He had not possibly better possibly better ships, but just it messed his score. And this was the slip up that wasn't expected. Yeah.
1: If that battle yeah. hadn't happened, not even if he had won it, if that hadn't happened, his average wins over expectation would have been about 0.2, about three to four times better than what it actually ended up being.
0: Now let's actually check out, we're going to move on to someone who's definitely more Egyptian on this one. And I think we'll move on to Necho II. This is somebody who is not really favoured by history. He lost a war to the Babylonians. He lost to Syria. And our database has one significant win and two significant losses. Pretty much, it's a little bit kinder, I think, in his history in terms of what happened, because he wasn't really expected to win those. Could you kind of
1: go through it a bit? Yeah, this is a good example of the counterpoint. And I think really I I noticed him because, as I we have such little information, especially going this far back. But he's someone with three recorded battles in her database. Yes. Yeah, it's it's kind of the flip side, really, of what we saw with Ptolemy, where he only won one out of the three. He he lost two of them. And he's won that, unlike Ramses, he suffered a lot from propaganda after his death because he lost what is kind of now Syria. He lost a lot of territory for Egypt. Yeah. After maybe a good start, he just kept messing up. But you go through the individual battles, and he just was not really expected to win. He's, he performed basically about two expectation, really. Like, he, he, his wins over expectation, it's minus 0.04. So maybe, yes. I mentioned earlier, Ptolemy me would, if you gave him 20 battles, 50-50, he should win 11. Hmm. Uh, Neko II should win 9. It's okay. a very, very marginal thing.
0: It's actually very close. So if we could hypothetically put a Ptolemy into his situation with the same kind of troops, he'd probably perform the same.
1: Yeah, just very slightly better. Now you go into you go into casualties. It's kind of like Ptolemy, but worse. The casualties suffered almost 30% more than you'd expect. And the casualties yeah. dealt. Basically, he's bloody on both sides. It's just kind of reckless.
0: And it's nearly a, it's nearly a one-to-one, actually. They, they're both... The first one, the casualties suffered over expectation, which is the much... Uh, the casualties you've taken more than the expected is 0.276 and the ones delivered or dealt to the opponent is 0.292 so it's roughly the same so he's bloody in dishing it out so he can give it and take it just kind of messy either way he's more bloody than would be expected
1: it is kind of an interesting one just seeing how even though we're dealing with the cold mathematical formula with the neural network with the history machine, it does kind of mirror, mirror what a lot of historians would say about him, which is just kind of, he was very eager to like go out and try and conquer and try and go to war and everything, but just fell a bit flat. Mm. And really, okay. you know, like you see that, you see those kind of, kind of reckless looking casualty numbers. It does <laughs> kind of go into that whole thing where he was like eager to get going, not necessarily ready for the job and kind of yeah underperformed really. It just backfired on him.
0: Yeah. So he's definitely somebody we can look at. He was probably a poor ruler. Probably was not great. Definitely very eager. An okay commander. In terms of the numbers and stuff dealt out, he, he at times can be as good as Ptolemy or close to it. He can deal well. But when you look at the overall... if, we, if This is a great example if we wanted to compare the idea of strategy and tactics. That tactically, he's probably sim- similar to Ptolemy. However, Ptolemy is, is somebody who's much more strategic. Yeah. So if we look at the idea of a strategic Ptolemy, Ptolemy is much... Much higher on that scale, which we don't really have recorded. This is much more a tactical database. They're both roughly even, but you can see what can go wrong when somebody is tactically minded but has not much strategic value.
1: Definitely seems like poor planning undid him, and also possibly worse propaganda than the others yeah. you've mentioned.
0: You don't you don't rank up the well. I suppose you, you you can sometimes you can prop up the guy that won or lost, but it really depends. Propaganda can really kind of hit you hard. It's it's a strange strange rush to be tired with. Um, I do want to move on and we'll talk about two more people and one of them is part of the Ptolemy dynasty and the other one is 100% not Egyptian but happened to fight kind of like in the name of Egypt near the tail end of our database and those two people are a little bit of an infamous power couple and we're looking at Mark Antony and Cleopatra.
1: Yeah so I mean we couldn't ignore these two going into the Egypt. They're, They're there. They're,
0: they're, too, they're too important when you look at, at, at the overall, in terms of what happens to Egypt under the Roman Republic and then Empire. These people are, are absolutely central to it. Yeah. So, start with Mark Antony. He was similar to Ptolemy, a sub-commander, but under another famous commander, and this would be Julius Caesar. So, Mark Antony very much made his name in Gaul with a fair number of battles, did particularly well. Was considered by Caesar actually a great sub-commander. I wouldn't say, like Ptolemy, probably not riding the tailcoats as much, but at the same time, it's hard not to ride the yeah. tailcoats of Caesar.
1: There there are a lot of parallels with him and Ptolemy. Uh, the wins over expectation, it's a very, very close figure. His is, is uh, 0. 0.047, so again, just a little bit above average. Yes. The casualties dealt, almost identical. He's very, very slightly higher than Ptolemy. Ptolemy had 0. 0.194, he has so again dealing out much but much much better casualties suffered it's only 0.07 percent more than you'd expect so
0: so he's expecting about seven percent more casualties than the average but he was dealing out 20 percent more than would be expected yeah
1: Whereas yeah. you look at Ptolemy, like he, he's done a little bit better on both fronts than Ptolemy. You know, again, the casualties mm. a little more than he would want, but it's, it's not quite, you know, it's, it's a lot closer to the, to the average. One yeah. thing he does lack is that you don't have the same enemy commander captures or kills that Ptolemy had. And that's one that falls down.
0: So here's a good question about Mark Anthony. What is like his superstar role? What was his biggest win, his best result, his, his shining moment?
1: Yeah, one thing at least, yeah, for Mark Anthony, he does have the same kind of and coattails of someone else problem. But mm-hmm. according to the History Machine, his biggest win, his most impressive win, it was one of the ones on his own terms where he was the, the main commander. He was in and charge
0: himself. He was the main commander. This yeah.
1: one was the first battle of Alexandria where History Machine, it gave him a one in four chance to win. Very low odds. He had an army about one-third the size of the enemy, and it was continuously dropping due to desertions. He pulled out and won it. However, there was a second battle of Alexandria later (laughs) in the year uh, because the desertions kept going, and the other side just kind of went, you know what, like... Let's have another go at this. I know we messed yeah. up the last one. I think we can take him now. Yeah, and that and that's, that ended yeah. up being one of his losses. But yeah, that was that was a very impressive one. But then also, uh, as with Tommy, like the the ones that he won under Caesar, they were kind of they were expected to win those ones. So his his overall rating didn't go up massively. Yeah. I
0: think similar to our Alexander idea or the idea of you don't really engage in a battle you don't think you can win we look at Mark Antony and particularly we look at Caesar and Caesar was somebody who would pick his battles particularly well now there are cases of course when we come across Caesar where you'll see there are exceptions to that rule but you'd be hard pressed to find commanders in our database that don't at least try or don't at least have a good chance of winning unless it's like a big siege on their city and they don't have too many troops normally you try and bring an equal amount or a decent number of troops to a battle to make sure you can win so mark antony has a lot of wins we have him down for five wins and three losses these are all yeah. significant wins and a bit of a mixed losses. record which
1: actually does kind of yeah. fit the i think the historical view of him really is like he's very significant in terms of yes history you know he was part of a roman civil yep. war he was very a lot kind of hung in the balance but at the same time he's not necessarily considered the best of the best general wise he had a few losses as well as a few yes. good wins and Mm -hmm. uh, that that seems to be supported here also in that roman civil war was cleopatra
0: yes let's talk about his uh, better half she has funnily enough in our database two significant wins and one significant loss she has had two wins as a co-commander with caesar
1: so commander slash leader it's arguable yeah how much influence she had directly in that but you know she she, she, just (laughs) but
0: still yeah she gets credit well, you know what? We should give her as much significant credit as any of her ancestors who were riding tailcoats yeah. of Alexander or are like riding tailcoats of other powerful other commanders. It's like, I happen to be there as well. Hey, you know, talk about me and give me some troops or give me a kingdom. I, I was a guy. <laughs> I'm, I'm a guy like me. So. <laughs> but then, of
1: course, uh, the pro- another problem was, and again, fitting in the historical narrative, yeah. she backed the wrong horse. Yes. And uh, yeah. her, her loss was also Mark Anthony's biggest loss. It was the Battle yes. of Actium. And that drags down the score a lot. Going okay. through the computer numbers for that battle, mm. they were expect, given about an 80% chance to win, roughly.
0: Now, I'm just going to talk a teeny bit about Cleopatra because I think, you know what, we're looking at her on the basis of a commander or like of a tactician, and she's not scoring well. But she's much more significant if we look at her historically as a politician as maybe like a negotiator, as somebody who was really popular among Egyptians. Because remember how we mentioned earlier that a lot of these Ptolemyic dynasties never bothered to learn Egyptian. She was the first of that ruling class to go, you know what, I'm going to learn it. And she became insanely popular with the people. So you can look at her as a much more shrewd diplomat or politician or like definitely she lives on in pop culture. Ask somebody to name someone Egyptian. They're going to say Cleopatra, Nefertiti and then maybe like Tutankhamun. But she is... I will say name an Egyptian Cleopatra that's your, that's your answer yeah. you're just going to get that
1: I think the thing with her really is you know we said there's this big she back there on horse but the thing is it's definitely arguable with the expansion of the Roman Empire, mm. she maybe helped prolong Egypt by one more generation. If things had swung slightly differently in that battle, she could have kept it going another length of time well, you, again. Well you
0: know what, Kahal, It's one more perserters. generation than you or I could have probably yeah. kept it by yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> let's yeah. We don't need to be too quick here throwing some stones going like that. Oh I no, I I meant I meant separation. that as in like yeah, it was yeah. kind of
1: it was kind of screwed regardless. She helped prolong yes. it. Other people wouldn't have been able to. I'm not doing it in... You know, she she kept it going, and all very nearly managed to keep it going even longer. Still, in what was kind of a losing battle.
0: I think we have her down here as her best win, like her biggest shining moment as a commander, as the siege of Alexandria. Yeah, and the siege of Alexandria that would be forty seven BC, and this would be considered a series of skirmishes that pretty much occurred between Julius Caesar, Cleopatra, and Ptolemy the Thirteenth. Now, we do mention there's a lot of Ptolemies. These people are like these people are like. Papal names. So, oh, long story short, talk a little bit of a side note about the Ptolemy dynasty. They're pretty much all named Ptolemy. It's like Ptolemy the first, the second, the third, it just goes on and on and on. And uh, because they're a little bit kind of, uh, they feel a little bit Targaryen, a lot of them (laughs) ended up marrying siblings and going, you know, go that old route. So Cleopatra was very briefly married to her brother. Don't think about it. (laughs)
1: But (laughs) But. This this battle was significant because it led to her and the brother basically becoming co-rulers of, of, uh, of Egypt the time. Yeah. I mean, kind of as a yeah, Roman yeah. puppet, but still, yes, she, she got in, into control basically through these series of battles.
0: So in fairness, she really did put out of the bag, if you think a lot historically about Macedonian... Politics. There's a lot of backstabbing, and this definitely kind of leads to her idea of being a very shrewd political person. That she was able to pull this out of the bag, get a little bit of foreign influence, get herself in a co-ruler position, and not have to worry about like, mis- you know, some kind of assassination or execution, or you know, kind of being shoved away into a corner. She did come out on top of this. So, as we said, we're judging her very harshly as a commander, which this is what the data is giving us, but. Like other significant people we might talk about here, as a political figure than a military one.
1: And actually, even a, even as a commander, she doesn't come out too badly out of it. Mm. Wins over expectation are about average. Her casualties are terrible. They're about twenty yes. percent more. Very bloody on both sides. Enemy commander' losses over expectation is good. That's about okay. A small sample size, but you know, maybe taking one more than expected in those battles.
0: We'll actually quote a few of her numbers here. So the win over expectation it's about 0%. Yeah, so
1: it's just average.
0: She's actually, she's actually performing average. average, which is, you know, as we said, unexpected. Like it's average compared to everybody else. We look at all our commanders, she's like, she's coming out okay. The casualties suffered is about 20%, but that's because she had a very significant loss. That one really adds up to that. The casualties dealt out, as we mentioned, 0.33%, so she's actually just at the third. So she's quite bloody. Even actually, here's a good deal, she's actually more bloody than Mark Antony or Ptolemy.
1: Just very messy. And yeah, I think really, again, it is so much of this is coming down to the one battle that went badly wrong. Mm, I think all the numbers prior prior to that, and again, probably because she was throwing herself in with the Right, people with Caesar and everything. She was getting very good results in in the battles she had involvement in.
0: If she hadn't lost that battle, she'd have gone down very, very well. So her enemy commander losses over expectation is 0.447, which is quite higher than expected, which means uh, if there are two battles, she's going to kill a commander in one of them.
1: Kill or capture, yeah, it's... Yeah,
0: it's pretty significant, though. It's much higher than anybody else.
1: Partially influenced by low number of total battles, but still, like... Yes. So I suppose, yeah, we, we mentioned anyway both Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. They had one battle that just wrecked their numbers and, in you know, wrecked their chances at winning the, the war as well, the Civil War for Rome. That was the Battle of Actium. Their expected odds of winning, according to the history machine, was about 80%. They had, they didn't have superior numbers, but they had much, much, it was a naval battle. They had far better warships.
0: Now, I do know historically about this particular battle. They suffered very heavily from disease and desertion.
1: The thing that's generally recorded about, and there's a lot of kind of, there seems to be a lot of he said, she said on this battle. (laughs) But basically, um, Cleopatra, who had a big share of the forces, she ordered a retreat. And I wasn't sure if that was miscommunication if it was Mm. panic, if it was just seeing an opportunity maybe that wasn't there, or just, you know, at some point anyway, wires got crossed. Something happened. No one's sure why. She retreated. Mark Anthony and his forces saw that and it just said, the panic set in, it caused a mass rout and then they just got
0: destroyed from there. That's when it goes. And that led
1: basically to both of them being that's out it, of the picture. Both of them being history,
0: destroyed, it, yeah.
1: That is the one that they probably should have won it. But, you know, communication, it's important. it's important. It's important for key, all couples. It's key for,
0: It is a key for a solid relationship, yeah. is decent communication. And they did not have it. And that's why it all fell apart. And that's why they, they're they not in charge anymore. They have a serious love-hate relationship going on here.
1: If you're taking anything from this podcast, it's one, Egypt is old. Two, Ramesses the Second remember that name and three (laughs) importance of communication in your relationship
0: i mean if you don't get it right like you could lose something like the battle of actium and there you go you've ruined your reputation forever two thousand years later you're going to have two lads just talking about how only mediocre you were yeah pretty much so anyway just to finish up we're going to talk a little bit about the max elo rating so the elo rating starts it's kind of based off a chess scoring system originally chess used in tons of
1: sports nowadays it, it, it's based on your wins and losses, but takes into account how likely you were to win. Or you were this. expected to win. Yeah.
0: Yes. Now, this, unfortunately, would be hindered a little bit by the data we have. as in for some of these commanders, we don't have much data. For some of them, we have quite a bit of data, but their losses are quite significant. But we can actually give you a bit of a ranking system for these commanders. And let's do a top five for the commanders we talked about. And ranking at number five is Nickel the second who has scored one five oh seven?
1: That was his peak rating. Yeah, was, that was that his was, peak He rating. had he had one battle initially, which he was kind of expected. Like the max jump with the current settings would be thirty two mm. reading points. Baseline's fifteen hundred, so maximum yes. you could have to after one battle would be fifteen thirty two. He had fifteen oh seven after his one win, which so he know, was, was he was
0: kind of expected to win. It was that, more that's or less expected. Of, yeah, it
1: yeah, was yeah. solid, but nothing special. And then it all went downhill from there.
0: The next highest. Now, this is because he has three significant losses. Is Mark Antony coming in at number four? Yeah, and his score is one five one nine.
1: So here we see, you know, he probably had enough wins that if they all came one after another, he would have had a very high rating. But yes. I think the combination of the ones that he won were mostly ones expected to win, and also maybe he couldn't get a good streak going meant that it only reached 1519 in the end. And
0: that spectacular loss at the end due to desertion, disease and miscommunication, that really did him in and it's brought it down. So ranking just above him, his better half at 1525 Cleopatra.
1: Initially with with Caesar backing the right horse, those first couple of battles that She's listed having some involvement in broader rating of quite a bit. 1525 out of two battles before, obviously, it plummeted with the final Battle of Actium.
0: And now, like a Miss Universe competition, I'm going to <laughs> announce the winner. And drumroll for this one. Believe the hype. Ramses II, Ozymandias, trailblazing in here with 1,550.
1: We mentioned that one of the issues is we don't have that many battles. So, you know, you don't have that many yep. data points, really. So you can't see a massive variety in ELO. You're only going to have them Get so high or so low before you run out of battles, Mm -hmm. but to see that much with only two battles—yes, you know I have—I have at hand the overall database and all the rulers from our twenty-five hundred years of battles and everything. This is the highest rating with that few, with only two battles of anyone. It's just like those two battles should not have won either of them, and he just well. Let's put let's put it
0: in perspective. the The maximum he could have scored with those battles. The maximum score. Yeah. This is like a simple, 1564 would have been one five six four.
1: Yeah, and 1550 just just below that.
0: Just below it. So he, he's off. He's off by only 14 in comparison. So he's like trailblazing. A one five six four would have been him alone taking on like the Persian million men at, at Sparta. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: basically. Yeah.
0: <laughs> sorry, sorry. That twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a one five six four. But he scores 1550 so believe the hype. Yeah. And then in second place, the runner-up in case Ramses the Second cannot perform his ferric duties is uh, <laughs> Ptolemy the First. Yeah.
1: So this this is a counterexample where he won the first six battles, but only got up to fifteen thirty nine as his
0: peak. Just how well Ramses the Second brought it up there. So yeah, I, I suppose his name streaks through time. It it. it punches through poetry, it it's lingers with us and it lingers for a good cause and good reason. So I suppose that finishes up and concludes our episode for Egypt. However, I think the next episode we'll probably start talking about the ancient Greeks because we actually have a lot of data yeah. on Greek city-states. I mean,
1: as we said for this, yeah. one, most of what we had for Egypt was Greek, basically. <laughs> it was Talmeic <laughs> Egypt. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think we may as well get into this before it overlaps with too many others because it's going to yes. overlap with a lot.
0: It it will, it will. So we're going to focus on some ancient Greeks and we'll probably dig a little bit into the Spartans and the Athenians. Who was better and why? So yeah, we'll, we'll look into the early Greek city-states, see where we'll go. I'm going to find this one rather exciting because I did record the database and we have so much information on Greek city-states. They're tiny areas, they're small kingdoms, but they just wrote things down. And that's why we got it and that's why we know so many of them. And we're definitely going to punch through them and uh, I'm kind of looking forward to it.
1: Once again, communication is key. Communication is key.
0: So thanks very much for listening. I have been Niall and uh, my co-host and friend, Cole, And that's all from us.